Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Here we go, Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST on Apple Podcasts, App, Spotify, where you listen to podcasts. We appreciate you the same. This episode was a long time coming because we all have been waiting for football season. Now, we touched on some football stuff in previous episodes, but this feels like the launch pad because if you were with Subway Sports Talk last season, not only did my guest and I Going a pretty damn good run with our picks throughout the whole season. More so him than I. But we came out here every week, 17 weeks in a row, talking NFL football, breaking it down for y'all. And we're back again, starting now. Boyle and Chen Show's own, WFAN's own, Pat Boyle. What's up, my brother? Hey, what's up, baby? Uh, I'm ready to rock, man. This is year two here with you on SST. We had a hell of a run last year. And honestly, that was some of the most fun I've had doing podcasts, chopping it up with you, Rock, Mule. I know, uh, you know, they'll be around whenever they can this year. They got Their lives got even busier. But, man, is it great to be back, dude. I can't wait for a whole other season of, of NFL football, baby. Absolutely, man. I'm so stoked. Shout out to Rock and, and Mule. They, last year, we realized we, how, we didn't realize how spoiled we were as they are football coaches at the high school ranks. And... There was no season in the fall last year. So defensive coordinator Rocco Del Puri had a little more time on his hands. Same for Chris Mule. So we'll get them maybe here and there, but you can believe that Pat Boyle and Pete Kennedy will be out here talking sports, talking football. Maybe we'll make some appearances on Boyle and Shen. You got to check that podcast out as well. Uh, and, and we're here to, to make some takes and talk about the NFL, of course. But, Pat, we would be remiss if we didn't at least spend a moment here to talk about the New York Mets, and maybe we could sprinkle in some Yankees talk, but let's be honest, the Mets have been the topic of conversation. I know I, I saw on your Twitter that since your debut show, by the way, congratulations on WFAN, Pat Boyle. Thank you, sir. If Thank y'all you, heard sir. him, y'all are real ones. If not, you better check him out. He's out here. Uh, you were talking about how the Mets are one of the best reality TV shows in in the game right now. They're out here just making news for all the wrong reasons, left and right, yet As we sit here tonight, 11 p.m. on a Thursday evening, they've won five in a row. And that playoff hope that we deemed gone forever is semi-back. Now, I don't want to overreact. I don't want to look at this the wrong way. Now, Pat, you've been a truth teller here on the Mets for a minute now, so I'll let you get on, on board here. Are they done? Are they a joke? Are they alive and are they a joke? What is it? Are all of the above? They've been an absolute wreck. The thumbs down, Sandy Alderson, the drunk GM. What is going on with this reality TV show that is the New York Mets? Well, they're on their way to another Emmy, Pete. Or, you know, at least they should be. I mean, they're the gift that never stops giving. It is something new every single day. It was you had the thumbs down. You had, you know, you're, they're booing at the fans after they go through a stretch in which I believe they went five and 16 over the course of a three week stretch and went from having a five game lead in the NL East to having a six game deficit in the division in the most mediocre, mediocre, most mediocre division 
it's, yeah, it's so bad. I can't even say the word in the most mediocre division in all of baseball. All they had to do was basically play slightly above 500 baseball for those three weeks. And they would have had a lead still in the NL East. But the beginning of the end for the New York Mets was the trade deadline because one, they should have gotten Chris Bryant and instead they failed and, and had to go for Javi Baez, which I love Baez. I love, you know, as a Cubs fan, I love both of them. I thought they couldn't go wrong with either guy. Baez is the better defender. He's one of the best defenders in the game. He gives you great power. Yes, he's probably the most undisciplined hitter in the entire league, whereas KB is a little bit more consistent. But, you know, again, either way, I thought he was going to be good. But then Baez gets hurt right away, and they didn't improve the pitching at all. They got Trevor Williams, who they, they again, he's basically been down in AAA since they got him. So a team that, at the time, was first in the division and thinking that they're real legit contenders for a World Series title. Yes, we were th- we were thinking that about the Mets a month, just over a month ago. They go out and they basically do nothing on the pitching side. They get Rich Hill, who, again, Tampa Bay, the smartest organization in baseball. They saw he was declining after a strong start to the season. They send him off, and what does he do? He's been he's had basically a five ERA since he came to the Mets, mm-hmm. and then. We find out Jacob DeGrom is basically going to be shut down for the rest of the year, at mm-hmm. least till September. And then once the tails, the tailspin started, we're not going to see DeGrom f- for the rest of the season. There's no shot. 99.9% chance Jacob DeGrom is done for the year, especially with how the Mets have performed. So for me, that was the beginning of the end. And then it's only gotten worse since the tailspin that they went through, the fans booing the, the hell out of them. Then they, they boo back with the thumbs down, which is, I mean, it was just blown totally out of proportion. I know you covered a lot of that. Oh, yeah. On Twitter and on and on SST, so I won't have to rehash that for your listeners. But you know, it was just completely blown out of proportion. And then it, it seems like the Mets start winning games, and Sunday they they win, and it seems all is okay again. Um, but then again, we get the thumbs down thing, and now we get their GM put on administrative leave, basically done. He's he's out of a job after this year because he's drunk driving after he's at Steve Cohen's house. I mean, can somebody call the guy an Uber after he leaves? My God. Dude, um, it's so unbelievable. It's, it's just one thing after another for the Mets. And yes, Pete, to answer your question, technically they still have a chance. They're hanging by a thread because we, as Mets fans, remember the Mets blew that colossal seven-game lead in September. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the biggest collapses at less, basically, what, 10 years ago? I think that was 2012. So it is very possible that the Atlanta Braves can do it. That being said, the Atlanta Braves did what the Mets couldn't do. And that is improve in numerous positions at the trade deadline. I mean, as we said that Atlanta just got done uh, basically getting swept by the Dodgers. Yeah. So again, the Mets still have a mathematical chance. They're four and a half games back with a month to play. It's, it is very possibility. It is possible, but seeing the way this team has performed over the last several weeks, even though they've now won five games in a row, no, they're not going to do it. They don't have the pitching. They don't the, They don't have the starting pitching. And for basically all of this season, the offense has been putrid. Mm. Hitting with runners in scoring position until these last couple of days has been absolute dog shit. And I'm not going to sit here and, and be fooled into thinking that this Mets offense is not going to spring itself to life and be one of the best lineups in the MLB here over the final month of the season. That and the fact that the starting pitching is basically still depleted and you're missing the best pitcher on the planet. No, this Mets team will probably finish about four, three, four games shy of the division. And Steve Cohen's going to clean house. Mm-hmm. And that that's probably what should happen. And what 
need, maybe you could probably say that needs to happen, right? It's uh, we're going to get into the giants in a minute here. And there's a take with the giants. That's very similar. It's like, Oh, if they go mediocre and have like some promising things, but some negative things that might be the worst outcome. Cause you don't know if you should fire the OC. You don't know if you should fire the GM. You almost want an absolute in either direction. The Mets are kind of the same thing right now in the sense where you probably don't want Sandy Alderson there. I heard you producing Tom Lugauer and uh, McMonagle's afternoon drive show today, and they were talking about how they can't believe people still like Alderson, and I agree with them. I don't, what, what is there to like about the guy? Um, but let me ask you a question, Pat. How many teams in the league have scored less runs than the New York Mets? Do you know? I would say only, I think it's only two teams have scored less runs. Maybe it's three at this point. It's only one team now. The Pittsburgh wow. Pirates are the only team to not have scored 500 runs this year, and the Mets have 501. So you're telling me the Detroit Tigers and the Baltimore Orioles and the mm-hmm. uh, and the Arizona Diamondbacks mm-hmm. have all scored more mm-hmm. runs than the New York Mets <laughs> by by the amounts of like 50, and, 60, and, 70 and, runs. And people think and people think this team can make the playoffs, and and somehow they're still only four, four and a half games out. Six percent chance, man. It's so it's so crazy, right? Because there's actually a chance. Here's the re- here's the path, and I'm not saying it's going to happen, obviously, but here's the path for the Mets to win the division. The Braves continue to slide after they were extraordinarily hot for a run there. The Phillies cool off because they're actually hotter than the Mets right now. And the Mets play the Marlins six more times this season. That's six more times in September. If they take care of business, pull a Tampa Bay raise against the Orioles and just dominate the Marlins, that is an opportunity for them to rise up the ranks. They just did it. Just a couple days ago, they were seven games out of the division. They're now four and a half games out. Now, the Braves and Phillies are playing each other, so you kind of just got to root for them to beat each other up a little bit. But six games against the Marlins, they got three up against the Nationals here, who are now only one game up against uh, over the Marlins. So they're tanking. They're done. They don't care. So you got to handle your business against the Nationals and Marlins. If they could actually take care of that business and go 8-1 and in those nine games, that's the path. If they don't dominate those two bad teams who don't care about the rest of the season— then they obviously don't deserve to be there. They probably don't deserve to be there anyway. Uh, but that's the path. Nine games yeah, against and, two crap teams. And Yeah, even then, I mean, the Braves, they, they kind of have an easy schedule as well. I'm looking at their schedule now. They play, they started the series on Thursday night with Colorado. Mm-hmm. That's four games. They play the Nationals for three games. They play the Marlins for three games. They play the Rockies for three games. So, I mean, you look at that. Again, they play Colorado. So, they play Colorado seven times here. Over the next two weeks, they play the Nationals three times, the Marlins three times, and then they also have a four-game set on the road with the Diamondbacks, mm, basically yeah, so they one got of the worst the, teams oof. in the LB. So they they have a, a pretty cakey schedule as well. Yeah, I'll tell you this though, I'll go I'll go as far for this here for Mets fans that are listening in. I'm going to go out on a limb and say the Mets are going to have a mathematical. They still will have a mathematical chance by the final week of the season to mm. win the division. By September 27th, Monday the 27th, the final week of the schedule, I will say that the Mets, which is basically, it's not saying a ton, I'm saying they're basically going to be five games back or less. Right. I think they will have a mathematical chance. And if they really surprise me, they might have a mathematical chance going into the final weekend with Atlanta. They'll pro- they're going to need to sweep them, but hey. they'll have a mathematical chance, but it's not going to end well. So I, <laughs> Mets fans, don't get your hopes up. Please, they, ba- it's they not basically worth it. you're just you're setting yourself up for more devastation. Yeah, they basically have to go on a run like the Yankees just went on, and just absolutely dominate September. And it's just unlikely. It's not going to happen. Most likely, 
But there is now an inkling of hope. An inkling. Just a little bit. Not that there's yeah. that much. But I, they, they're gonna have to they're gonna have to go from being the worst offense in the MLB, which you and I just talked about, to being one of the best. Mm-hmm. And after a whole season of watching Michael Conforto fall flat on his face, after seeing the start that Dom Smith got off to and now has basically completely tailed off, after seeing Pete Alonzo and his toxic positivity, his cringeworthy positivity <laughs> when he goes through a two for twenty-three slump and, and still shows up every day and has the audacity, the balls to say, you know, I'm just so proud of us how how we really battled out there. Mm. And uh yeah, Pete, well you guys just you guys just lost seven out of eight games. Yeah, but you know, I'm just so proud of us how we how we oh, go out God. there and, and we're anxiety we're just hearing you re- repeat it. I mean it's and, and Rojas too. My <sighs> God. Like I just wanted somebody to just sack up and just lose it and say, We suck. We have to be better. Like there is nothing wrong with admitting that. And there's not this is the worst part too. And this brings me back to what I was talking about on TikTok. If you've seen any of the TikTok stuff that I that I was doing and Instagram reels and whatnot with the thumbs down situation. There's just no continuity here in the organization. Sandy Alderson, I'm sorry, uh, Steve Cohen wants to call out the team publicly to maybe light a fire under them. That's probably not the right way to do it. Sandy Alderson calls something unacceptable and will not be tolerated. And then a day later, the GM gets a, a D, DUI. Like there's no continuity. And all while this is happening, like you said, Rojas and Alonzo are like, you know, we're just trying really hard. Like, what can we get some sense of direction here? Like, if you're going to get called out, call yourself out. If you're going to be positive, be positive. You can't mix in toxic negativity and toxic positivity every other day. It's just, it's miserable for us fans. And every single year of my life, I could almost remember, other than the rare couple where they actually won the division, there's always this portion of the year where it's miserable and then they bring you back in and they give you just enough hope for you to tune in in September. Oh, we're playing meaningful baseball in September and it falls apart yet again and we yeah, end like up this, where we end up. You're like the sucker, you're like the sucker guppy fish in the water that just that sees the bait and you've been caught so many times by that little freaking worm on that hook and you know not to do it, but you're like, "Hey, maybe this time I can get that worm and get away with it." No. You're going to get hooked, you're going to get reeled in all for disaster. Yeah. I mean, look, again, or Pete, you, you need the the worst team you need the worst offensive team, basically, in the MLB to go out there and undo everything they've done this year. And you're asking to do that without the best pitcher on the planet, without Noah Syndergaard, who you've been at without for all year long. And basically, you're asking for a shell of Taiwan Walker after what he did in the first half of the year to go out and, and then revert back to being dominant and Stroman to be consistent and this bullpen to be consistent for a long stretch of time for a full month. It's bullpen's been the best part about this team. Yeah. For mo- for the whole season. For once in the and past even, 10 years. And, and, yeah, and even <laughs> then, and even then there's been times where you need the bullpen to hold it together and they haven't been able to do so. So uh, again, you I know, can't just, help but laugh sometimes. If we we want to throw out some predictions here, the Mets are now 66 and 67. I think they finish with 80 84 wins. I think they finish 84 and 78 and it's not going to be enough. Yep, that will not. That will most likely not be enough. Um, but yeah, I think that's enough on the Mets because we had to get to football. That was perfect. It's what I needed. It was a little cathartic, and uh, sometimes you need to get that off the chest. You know, you just got to get it out there. And, and there's this weird feeling now where they're on a win streak, right? And all this shit that's going wrong. Now there's a reason to tune in. A for the drama. B because they're actually playing okay to decent to good baseball at this moment in time. Familia nine wins by the way. Hilarious. Hilarious. 
Uh, I know, wait, last thing real quick before we go to football. Were you watching the game in the ninth inning? I think you were, right? Yes. Ron Darling goes, you know, uh, Edwin Diaz has been basically lights out in save situations. He's only really been bad when he's in non-save situations. So if he could just put the nail in the coffin now, I'm like, oh, my God, wait, you just just put the nail. (laughs) I'm not a jinx guy. You know, me, you and I as um, people in the broadcast realm, can't be a jinx guy. It's just, you, you can't do that. I mean, some people no, he, are, I mean, some people aren't. But I heard that, and I was like, oh, classic. Here we go. He's going to blow he's, it. He's right, though. Diaz has been phenomenal. Yes. Especially especially over the last month. He's got an ERA of just over one. Mm. He's been tremendous. I mean, you said it familiar, nine wins. It's so funny. <laughs> His bullpen has been Tied has with the lead, good. team lead. <laughs> What'd you say? He's tied with the uh, team lead and wins. I know. It's unbelievable. Oh, God. All right. Nine we, and three. Need, he's been good. And Trevor May's come back to being pretty solid. And, and Loop's obviously been probably the best arm out of the whole bullpen. So those four guys right there. I mean, it's a shame. If it really is a shame. And I and I and so many people on the fan, I'm like, do you watch the games? They're like, well, who's the who's most to blame here for this Mets season? Like, what are you talking about? Who's most to blame? Do you watch the offense put up two runs, yeah. three runs night after night, and fail miserably with runners in scoring position and every single clutch situation? What do you mean? Who is to blame? Yep. Couldn't I'm agree done. more. Go ahead. Go no, I couldn't agree more. I just like, I, I couldn't agree more. That's just the truth. It's the, the truth right there. And now it's time for us to talk about football where we can at least have some optimism here where we could talk about a season that hasn't started yet. And we could dream a little dream about the New York giants or the New York jets, or perhaps Pat Boyle's Cleveland Browns who were looking good to, to be right in the playoff picture this year yet again. Amongst other teams, some teams may be more so than others with rookie quarterbacks, nonetheless. And that's where we're going to start our conversation. Now, that obviously means Mac Jones. He has been named the starter. It's something some people were predicting before the cut of Cam Newton, but obviously that was the icing on the cake. I know you have some particular thoughts on that topic, so we're going to start off the conversation with Mac Jones and the Patriots. But as a little preface, We are then going to get into the Giants, into the Jets, into some other big question marks around the league, some of the most interesting teams that we have marked off going into uh, week one. And then next week, we're going to try to do some over-unders, talk about some gambling stuff, and really get all primed up for week one of the NFL season. But right now, we got some big questions and some big topics to tackle. So let's start with Mac Jones. He's plus 500 to win Offensive Rookie of the Year, which made a little jump upon being named the starter, of course, which makes all the sense in the world. And people are raving about him. And, of course, people are comparing him to Tom Brady. And that leads to debate. As some people love this man and what he can do at the quarterback position, and some people want to see it happen first. So, Pat Boyle, what were your thoughts when the cut of Cam Newton took place? Was that your prediction? And how do you see this playing out for the rookie quarterback and Mac Jones taking over the storied New England Patriots? Yeah, I think it's pretty obvious, Pete, here that Mac Jones got this starting job not because he is the next Tom Brady, but it's just because of how pathetic Cam Newton has been now over the last two years. Oh, yeah. And, okay. And, and this is let me hear it. This Start it off hot. Th- 
this is coming from a guy that this is coming from me, somebody that's rooted for Cam Newton and thought that he was going to have that the Patriots were going to make the playoffs last season, despite all the guys that opted out on defense, despite all the, you know, Brady's leaving Belichick can't win on his own. I was like, no, Cam Newton's going to slide in. He's going to fit in great with this team. He's going to run for like 80 yards a game. He's going to bulldoze people. And no, that wasn't the case. You know, he kind of battled some injuries here and there. He got COVID. I thought at some point I was like, all right, maybe COVID has, has, uh, you know, hit him pretty badly because he can't throw a ball more than 10 yards down the field. He's throwing it at guys feet. He's throwing it behind guys. I mean, it was, it was sad to kind of, to really watch the, the de-evolution of Cam Newton over these last two years um, as somebody that really, really wanted him to succeed really badly and thought that if he was, you know, one tier lower, two tiers lower than his prime days that the Patriots could have won 10 games last year, made the playoffs. And he was just brutal. He was pathetic. And again, even in the preseason games, you know, when they played the giants, I'm like, what cam, what are you doing, man? He just, he can't throw the football anymore consistently really at all with any kind of zip and any kind of accuracy. So that's why Mac Jones got the starting job. I mean, if he had to beat out any, above average quarterback in this league, he'd be sitting the bench. So again, for people to compare him to the next Tom Brady, it's just such a lazy take. It's okay. Slow white quarterback in New England <laughs> under Bill Belichick that people have kind of doubted, especially because he came out of Alabama and it was, you know, he obviously had all the success there, but it was like, Oh, another Alabama quarterback that had all the weapons at his disposal and isn't that great. And, you know, long list of Alabama quarterbacks that haven't done that well in the NFL. So um, you know, it's, it's, it, it, to me, it's just, oh, it's, it's just too easy of a narrative to try to peg him into that. And I think it's stupid and I don't think he's that great. And I think, um, that with the weapons that he has now with the new England Patriots and how bad their offense is that just because he's playing under bill Belichick does not mean he's going to develop into the next Tom Brady, let alone next star quarterback. So I am very, very bearish on Mac Jones and I think this Patriots team is going to hover around 500 and probably not make the playoffs. I mean, again, you know, we, we think Mac Jones is going to be so brilliant. One, the guy can't move. You know, we, we saw pictures of him with his shirt off. He is not <laughs> athletic really at all in the sense of today's quarterbacks and how you need to be. So he's not buying you extra time. He's not getting you, you know, out of the pocket and getting you yards where, where you're in desperate situations and this offensive line, I mean, the offensive line better hold up for him. Otherwise he's going to be in a world of trouble this year. Shaq Mason and Trent Brown and, and uh, Isaiah Wynn on the left side, they better really protect the, the shit out of him. Otherwise he's going to be in for a world of pain. And again, look at the weapons he's got at his disposal. Now I'm supposed to believe now that Nelson Aguilar and just because they got Kendrick Bourne and mm. Jacoby Myers and oh the two tight end Smith the two tight end set with Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith now that Mac Jones is going to turn into a stud quarterback come on yeah. I mean let, let's let, let's take a real hard look here at what at what we're working with at what Mac Jones is working with and let's accept the fact that he's going to have a very very mediocre rookie season now before I push back on you here because I do have a couple pushbacks I do have to also agree with a portion of your take or add to a portion of your take if you will the Patriot system gets praised a lot, mostly probably 90 to 95% earned rightfully. So the one thing that I question that I feel like people just blindly say on TV and radio alike, like you just said, a lazy take is to talk about Josh McDaniels and this offense as somehow an extraordinary system, even in the latter years of Brady, where they're starting to become blame on Brady on his ability to, make the throws and 
you know, staying in the pocket and moving the pocket still, that became a question mark. And we weren't blaming McDaniels. We weren't blaming the talent or lack thereof on offense. Exactly. We were blaming Brady. Exactly. So, and realistically, Brady can't do. realistically, you look at the skill players that they've had outside of Julian Edelman in the last year of Gronk, who was a tough year for him. He was all sorts of banged up. They haven't had any good skill players. They had a good year and a half or so of Sony Michelle. They had a good like six games with Damian Harris last year. They haven't had a successful receiver outside of Edelman since I don't even know when. I don't want to say Randy Moss. There had to be someone else in between that time frame, but I can't even think of anybody. So why why do we constantly say that the New England Patriots offensive system is so elite when in the most recent history, the past two years, there has been no signs of eliteness in the ability to put talent on the field as far as the front office is concerned. And then second, as far as scheme and actually putting points on the board. Now they hovered around uh, 500 miraculously last year. And that's a testament perhaps to Bill Belichick and the defense playing with like five or six opt-outs. But it was not a testament to the offense putting points on the board. So on that front, I totally agree with you. There's a lot of laziness when just saying, oh, naturally, now he's with McDaniels. They're going to be great. You can't just say it like that. Now, here's my pushback for you, though. Mac Jones looks very comfortable back there and is a distributor of the football, something that Colin Cowherd always would talk about with certain quarterbacks who are, like, average-ish or, like, slightly above average. Like, oh, they're good distributors of the football. They're not spectacular. They're not making incredible plays or highlight plays frequently, but they can put the ball onto the simple targets and move the ball down the field and perhaps occasionally make a little extra special throws and their receivers can step up for him. And the number one guy he would always talk about is Andy Dalton. And now you're thinking about the Cowboys, Andy Dalton, the Chicago Bears, Andy Dalton, and you have a bad taste in your mouth. You're thinking, well, that's not good. You're comparing Mac Jones to Andy Dalton? No, I don't want to do that particularly, but I do want to do that. I do want to do that this year, right? So Mac Jones, as a rookie, is his ceiling around the ceiling of Andy Dalton in that stretch where they made the playoffs a handful of times in a row and he was throwing great passes to some talented receivers that they don't have, per se, in New England, but he was really just controlling the offense, controlling the game, making just enough plays to put them in positions to win, and with that defense, it might just be enough. So I'm not going to go out here and say Brady's going to be the, I mean, sorry, Mac Jones is the next Brady, but I will go out here and say, their ability to win football games with Mac Jones versus Cam Newton, though unfortunate, is much higher. So that's where I push back. I do think it was the right call no matter what, and it wasn't simply Cam Newton sucked, so here's Mac Jones. Mac Jones made it an easy cut and made it an easier cut to let go of Cam Newton. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think he made it easy because of just how bad Cam has become. <laughs> It was bad, man. I, I mean, Pete, it, he's he's so bad now that oh. they didn't even keep him on the team. They just straight up released him. They're like Brian like, Hoyer. You have to have you got us. You have to have really little faith in your quarterback that now you're going to roll with. Guess who? Guess who's still the backup quarterback now in New England, Mister Jarrett Stidham. Oh, I thought it was and Brian feel, Hoyer. No, I'm looking at. I got the depth chart. Is it Stidham right still? Here. They still have Hoyer on the roster, though. No. I, I'm, I'm seeing, I just see Mac Jones and Jared Stidham. Damn, that's a shame. I thought it was Hoyer. All right, continue. Unless, unless this is, unless, you know, Rotowire, which is usually not. Nah, they're spot on. I trust you. That it's Mac Jones and Jared Stidham. So you have to have that little faith in Cam Newton that you're just going to straight up release him and at least not say, okay, hey, you're our guy if, if Mac Jones gets hurt. 
And then again, you know, who knows Cam Newton, if he if he's not the starter, maybe he just said, all right, just, just trade me, release me, whatever you got to do. I, I can't be, I can't be the backup to a, to a rookie. So, yeah. but again, he's, he's that bad. And I hope Cam Newton's, you know, maybe uh, has his Zen moment and kind of finds whatever he's been missing for the last two years and kind of makes a nice little comeback. His shoulder. He goes it's, that's what it is. It's not about his Zen. Exactly. Honestly, that I, is. Yeah. All the it's reports the, right. talked about him being an awesome guy and everybody loved him and Belichick raved about him, which Belichick doesn't rave about anybody. It's nothing about Cam Newton, the human being, nothing about Cam Newton, the leader. It's all about Cam Newton, the thrower of the football cannot distribute the football at all. He's the opposite. He's like the anti Andy Dalton at this point. And that's saying that's bad. You know, you don't want to be uh, worse than Andy Dalton, especially now. So I, I feel you. That does want me to move though, to the rest of the AFC East here. Cause I don't want to spend too much time simply on the Patriots. We kind of continue where they land. Maybe in the AFC East, we can talk about the jets a little bit. And we could also talk about the two also interesting teams in the AFC East. So I want to pose this question to you. And then you could take it wherever you want after uh, that quarterback conversation, you know, in regards to who's going to win the division or who's going to, you know, fight for a wild card, et cetera. But my question for you, what do you think is more likely here, Pat? That Josh Allen takes a step backwards and, you know, regresses after his incredible season last year where he made a huge leap from year two to three? Or that Tua makes a huge leap from year one to two and establishes himself as a franchise quarterback. So more likely, Allen regression or Tua progression? What's more likely is the Tua progression because I don't think it's very likely that Josh Allen regresses. I think he is an absolute stud of a quarterback. I mean, we saw on a week-to-week basis with how many times they put Buffalo in prime time with good reason just how incredible Josh Allen is, whether it's extending plays with his legs, being able to throw the ball off his back foot, across his body to all parts of the field. I mean, he's got an incredible set of weapons around him. But, you know, as somebody that said Justin Herbert was going to be the sparkling quarterback of the two between him and Tua Tagovailoa. Who said it? I do. I did. I know. (laughs) I did. I said it many times. On this podcast. (laughs) Yes. But no, now that... Tua is in year two, it's time to take the brakes off of him. It's time to take the training wheels off and let the kid go to work because Miami had a spectacular defense. They had one of the best special teams in the NFL. They're tremendously coached. And, you know, Brian Flores has done an amazing job. The only thing that kept this team back from being a legit threat in the league was the offense. And it was the fact that Tua, you know, you're expecting him to get pulled almost every single game because the defense keeps you in the game and you're down 13, three or 13, six or 13, seven going into the fourth quarter, every game. And it's like, all right, let's, let's go to the old man. Let's go to Ryan Fitzpatrick. Cause he at least gives us a chance. He can throw the ball down the field. We have zero faith that Tua can do that. But then again, they're, they're not drawing up plays for him to do that. They're drawing up West coast offense, little six, seven throws as if he's Eli Manning, 39 year old Eli Manning who can't throw the football as if, as if the kid's not 21 years old and doesn't have a rocket of an arm. So let take the training wheels off of Tua this year, let him throw the ball down the field, start drawing up some plays where you could do some damage as an offense and not just hope that the five, six rotation running backs that Miami had last year due to injury. Now that they hope that Gaskin and Malcolm Brown and Salvana med can stay healthy. Hopefully they can run the ball. And that then opens up the offense for Tua to then spread it out, get his guy, Devontae Parker, the ball down the field, get Jalen Waddle involved now this year, 
And, uh, and hopefully Mike Kosicki can, you know, be more Jekyll than he was Hyde because sometimes he looked like a, a future pro bowl and other times he couldn't even find the guy on the field. So hopefully Tua, they like take the wheels off him this year. They let the kid develop here in his second season. They let him throw the ball down the field because I think he can have a special season. I think Miami can really be an 11 or even a 12 win team this year. Mm. Oh, I love that. And uh, it reminds me of last year. Speaking of your so far spot on take on Justin Herbert versus Tua, I will add on your current take on Tua. It reminds me of when Chris Mule, Dolphins fan, SST co-host last year, he said, oh, this guy Chan Gailey is the offensive coordinator. What is he, 82 years old? And he ended up being like 67 or something. I forget, <laughs> I forget what his actual age was, but it wasn't 82. It was just old. And Mule is like, well, he looks like he's damn 82. How is this guy the offensive coordinator? Well, that guy was Ryan Fitzpatrick's guy. They had been together in multiple stops uh, along the way, along Fitzpatrick's career, and he wasn't built for Tua, nor did he care to build an offense for Tua. So that's one. You, I had three reasons why Tua can progress. You said one of them. The weapons are improved if Waddle can perform, and Gasicki and Parker are both on the field, as well as healthy running backs. That's number one. Number two is no more Chan Gailey, no more old offense that's not built for Tua where they're actually going to allow him to throw the ball down the field. And number three, which I do think is important, which kind of gets mentioned, but it's hard to quantify. Last year, he was just about a year off of a really serious hip injury and surgery. So to give him the grace period of this second season, where usually quarterbacks can show something by year two, you know, a la Daniel Jones, perhaps we'll get there in a minute. Um, usually, you know what you have by year two. Josh Allen is the exception. He's one of the rare guys who made a ginormous leap. Now, he showed flashes of being great, but he did not show the ability to do what he did last year in years one or two. So this is the year for Tua to target and show what he can do to be a franchise quarterback, and those three reasons I think are pretty fair to to think why he could actually make a leap. Now, it's not going to be a leap to what Josh Allen did, but from what he just did in his first, whatever, eight games he started last year, to this next 16, hopefully, or 17, hopefully, that he can start and stay healthy for. Why not Why not see Tua push the ball again? Why not see him connect with his old Alabama pal, Jalen Waddle for big plays? It didn't happen last year, but it seems like it could this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love, obviously, getting Waddle in the draft. And um, yeah, you mentioned it, Chan Gailey, you know, guy who's, uh, you know, operating in some of the, you know, the older eras of football in terms of the offense as I'm sure Mule was probably no, nobody was happier than Mule that, that, that Changeli resigned and they go, they're going with co-offensive coordinators this year in Studisville and Godsey, the guys who were, you know, the, tw- the tight ends and quarterback coach, they get promotion. Be interesting to see how they want to run that offense, but it's two guys that know the team. Well, obviously you get promoting from internal and it was it the new quarterback coach is Charlie Fry who has worked with Tua in the past you mentioned that he's got the connection with Waddle. Hopefully everything can come together nicely for this, for this Miami offense, because that is the missing leak, uh, missing link of an otherwise really, really solid football team. And now if you talk about quarterback specifically, which we have been here with the Dolphins, Bills and Patriots, that leads us to one more team in the AFC East. And if you really do think about all the divisions in football, when it comes to specifically quarterbacks, this may be one of the most intriguing divisions we have. Now, you go through all the divisions and, you know, almost every quarterback in the league is interesting in some way or another, whether they can hold on for one last ride, Ryan Fitzpatrick, they can come back from injury, Dak Prescott, or Aaron Rodgers back in Green Bay. There's interesting stories all over the place, but top to bottom, 
all four of these teams have interesting stories at the quarterback position. The only one we haven't mentioned yet is Zach Wilson. So let's round out this AFC uh, division, AFC East division talk here. Can you give me your early Zach Wilson thoughts? But before you do that, I'll just read off. The Bills are minus 150, decently strong favorites to win that division, followed by the Finns at 330. Patriots plus 360 and the Jets way back at plus 1600. But obviously a successful season for the Jets is different than a successful season for the Bills. So what are your early thoughts on Zach Wilson, the Jets starting quarterback? Well, I just say I know what the early thoughts of Tony Romo is. And that is why, you know, I don't, I I know Tony knows he doesn't need to make headlines. He's, He's sitting next to Jim Nance every single Sunday, but for him to go out and say that he can reach the level of Patrick Mahomes. Whoa. I mean, yeah, go ahead and give me give me a drop there, Pete. Give me something. Hold on, hold on. You got to give me a second. I was on the wrong page here. He went what? Right. There you go. I was going to say, give me that. He went what? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I finally found out like a couple of weeks ago what that's actually from. Who was that? That was NBA draft. Kobe, Kobe White. Yes, Kobe White. We I also forget who it was. We also have this one. Wow, bro. That's crazy. That's so love. Which it is. That's so love from Tony Romo right there. <laughs> that is. That is so love. I mean, making that comparison to the the face of the NFL basically already, already the MVP, already a Super Bowl champion, the greatest quarterback in the league right now, the richest player in this sport for the next 10 years, for you to be making comparisons to him already and Zach Wilson hasn't taken a single snap in the NFL. I mean, this is what we love doing. We love saying Zach Wilson's going to be the next Patrick Mahomes. We love saying Zach Wilson's going to be a bust. We always love seeing this. The kid hasn't even played yet. That being said, you, we, we have been able to watch him in some preseason. We have been able to watch him in, you know, when he lit everyone's nips off in his uh, pro went, day. Where he, yeah, where he's throwing the ball 50 yards down the field across his body. The kid's athletic. He's got a great arm. There's no doubting that. So it's just about whether or not now you can get new offensive coordinator, Mike LaFleur, Matt LaFleur's brother, and you can get this new offense with a new coach, new offensive coordinator, new system, and a bunch of new faces to operate like a well-oiled machine in the NFL, which we know is not easy to do. That being said, Zach Wilson has the benefit of taking over an offense that was one of the worst in the history of the sport last year under loser Adam Gase. They were absolute dog shit. There's no other way to say it. They were, historically speaking, one of the most pathetic offenses to ever take the field in the NFL. So he's got the (laughs) lowest bar you could possibly imagine. He's got a new offensive coordinator where there is basically no pressure. They're not expected to do anything at all. They're the worst team in the division on paper. And he's got some pretty nice weapons alongside him. I mean, the Jets went out. Almost too many. And... Yeah, there's a lot. They went out and Joe Douglas drafted him weapon after weapon after weapon. They went out and they signed Corey Davis in free agency. And you combine that with the the other weapons that they've got right now. And again, I, I think Zach Wilson has a chance to have a pretty successful rookie season. You know, Jamison Crowder in the slot definitely helps. Elijah Moore, big, fast, oh, athletic, strong receiver from Ole Miss. And, you know, it's a shame that they don't have a tight end because if they had like a, a, you know, a decent tight end, who knows, maybe Ryan Griffin can, can kind of do something here this year again, after he, he kind of, you know, popped on the scene for a game or two and then really didn't do much, but they sent I mean, Packin. he's got a decent amount of weapons at his disposal here for a rookie quarterback with the ball with a low bar. 
I, I think he could have a pretty successful rookie season. Um, but again, that is keeping with the expectations that the Jets are nowhere near ready to compete. So of course, of that, course. that's kind of my overall take on him. And again, we'll he'll, he'll let the play doing the talk, do the talking. I'm not going to lean one way or another, say he is the next Mahomes or he is a bust. I, I think he's going to fall somewhere in the middle. And, you know, again, I think he can go out and kind of prove a lot of people wrong. I love it. It's a great take. And fa- quick fantasy point. If you're looking at the Jets guys from a fantasy perspective, it's almost like there's too many guys. You'd almost wish that one of them wasn't there because you have Corey Davis, solid fantasy option in theory. Crowder, like you mentioned. Mims, who's supposedly going to be healthy this year. And I, I don't know if you know this, Pat. I've said this on this podcast a couple times, and you're going to get sick of it. I love Elijah Moore Moore. and desperately wanted the Giants to take him, and they did not. Um, That's four guys who could be actual dudes. That's almost four more because Crowder was half injured last year. That's almost four more guys than they had last year, basically. So great strides there. And the one thing I love about the Jets organization right now, outside of the one you know moment Zach Wilson had something in a press conference where – I forget even what the thing was. They said something about him about being cocky or something like that. Was that was that the thing? Or you know what I'm talking about? It was earlier on in the preseason, maybe not even before the, it might have been before the first preseason game. He had a moment in a press conference where he had kind of had a stand up for himself. Maybe he had a really bad day in in camp and the, he was getting peppered with tough questions and he kind of like real confidently stood there and was like yeah, it's all right. Like we we make mistakes, we get better. I'm doing this, I'm doing that, and it was very confident. And some people took it as arrogance and like, oh, this guy's got like a cockiness to him, and that hits 50 percent of people the wrong way. And 50 percent of the people say your quarterback needs that, right? Yeah, I mean, he had, he had a bad like first. He had like an awful first day of camp, like if the first day of camp, and they were like, right, that was like, it. Oh. Yeah, and it's like, come on. I mean, we're we're gonna overreact to the kid's first day of fucking training camp yes so yeah i mean look and again you have to be confident go ahead no sorry i have one more thing to add because then that's uh the point there outside of that little spat which was nothing it was day one slow news day shit then you had a carl lawson injury which is an injury and unfortunate out of control right and it's oh jets get unlucky again that's not drama that's just unfortunate the jets have been dead silent this offseason we're talking about the mets the mets and their drama crazy Right? Usually the Mets and the Jets are the same. Drama, drama, drama. And now the Giants, with Joe Judge making his team run sprints twice a week, three, four times a week, whatever it is, getting in trouble, getting punished like they're a high school team, <laughs> they're making drama all the time. Dave Gettleman can't open his mouth without saying something silly. And the Jets are quiet over here. Robert Sala, every once in a while, you see a video of him smiling and being positive and like tons of energy, being the guy we all fell in love with on the sideline for the Niners. It's nice and quiet for the Jets, an organization seemingly handling things the right way, starting at the top with our boy, Joe Douglas. Yeah, I mean, you are right. They have been very quiet since uh, the first kind of week of camp. And, you know, they they, they had the, uh, I think they had a fight with... Who did, with Green Bay, right? When they when they played Green Bay and they kind of got into, there, there was a little couple of fights. So, I mean, it wasn't anything serious, but... Uh, you know, that was it. And again, after the, you know, the Zach Wilson first day of camp that you're right, that's basically been it. I mean, look, this team's just still not that good. You know, you got Makai Becton who's coming off of a concussion now here going into the first week of the season. You don't know how Elijah Vera Tucker's going to hold up as a rookie. And let's not forget the right side of that offensive line was just pathetic last year. Mm. So uh, that, and that the secondary was also, absolutely garbage they already cut bless austin so mm. i mean where does that where does that tell you that oh is that, that the uh, jamal I, adams replacement was that that guy no that's a different guy. uh 
No, no, no. That's uh, that's that's not, Marcus May. No, no, not Marcus who, May. The the guy they drafted. Oh, uh, Lamarcus Joiner. No, no, they drafted a guy in like the third round who had like he was like a hurdle runner in college from Cal, maybe. Oh, and Ashton Davis. Ashton Davis. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Never mind. Yeah, he's on he's on IR right now too. So who knows? I mean, he's out for a couple of weeks to start the season. But no, Bless Austin was there. Him and Bryce Hall were the cornerbacks last year. And they got so bad. They were playing so badly. And one was hurt that they then had to go with. Remember, they had the, um, uh, what's his, uh, Lamar Jackson. They had the Lamar Jackson mm. cornerback. And people are like, geez, they got, you know, you got, there's another Lamar Jackson in the league. We don't even know who he is. And he's the one that got burned. Where then you got, uh, you know, the defensive coordinator fired after the all out blitz against the, uh, Raiders. the Raiders on the last play. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so again, their, their, their secondary was just as bad as their offense was last year. And overall, the point I'm making is the fact that the Jets are still just not a good team. Yes. And yet you got rid of loser Gase. You got a new head coach, a guy that's been successful everywhere he's been in Sala. You got a new system. You got a whole new kind of fresh blank slate. But the, 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 the fact of the matter is they're probably going to go 0 and 6 or 1 and 5 in the division this year. And they're still just not that good. Yep. So the Jets fans, Facts. you know, hey. I think, it, look, if you, if the Jets win six games this year, it's a huge success. Oh, yeah. If you win six games and Zach Wilson wins offensive rookie of the year. It's, it's, it's incredible. And then you're looking forward to year two. And then Jets fans are going to say, look, we're ready to make the playoffs now. <laughs> yeah. But, and their I over mean, under look, is they, six, by the way, for reference. Yeah. I think they're going to finish. I was very low on them about a week ago. And then I took a look at their schedule and their out of division schedule is pretty weak to the fact, to the point where they honestly should win five or six games this year. Um, so again, if you do that and Zach Wilson stays healthy, and gives you a full season, and you see a lot of promise, that's all you can ask for this year. Because the Jets, they're going to play Carolina week one, which they're probably going to lose on the road. And I'm sure we'll get the lazy narrative of, oh, Oh, Sam Darnold beats his former team, and he throws for three touchdowns. They can both look good, right? They can both look good, Zach and Sam. Exactly. But the Jets this year, they're going to play Atlanta, who – God knows what the Falcons are going to look like. And that game is going to be in London. They're going to play the Bengals at home. They're going to play the Texans on the road. They're going to play the Eagles at home. They're going to play the Jaguars at home. So yeah, in theory, this team could definitely win five or six games this year. Hey, so it's an uphill battle for the Jets, obviously, right? That makes all the sense in the world, but they are seemingly officially moving in the right direction up that hill. They're not sliding down the hill anymore. They're going up. One would hope. One would hope. That's why big... Prerequisite number one this year, Zach Wilson has to stay healthy. Yes, of course. And just clean all that stuff out. Yeah, 100%. So that's good. And now to segue, here's a little segue for you. Talking about the Jets. Let's hop over to the NFC East, but use the Jets to get there. We just talked about that over-under of six games for the New York Jets. One could argue that one being me could and would and is arguing that a six-win Jets season is more positive and better than like a very up down mediocre seven win eight win giant season where they just kick the tires a little bit down and you don't really have answers and you say Garrett did some good things but maybe we keep him one more year Gettleman got some talent but I don't know should we get rid of him Daniel Jones threw for 20 touchdowns this year not 11 he looked a little he had less picks but he had some good plays like, that is the worst-case scenario. So there's a very good chance that a six-win Jet season could be a lot better. Even a five-win Jet season can be a lot better than an eight-win Giants season. So that segues us to the New York Giants here. 
there is reason to believe that this defense will be good again. I was listening to a bunch of podcasts and prep and doing my homework and whatnot, and there are people around the league, not just in New York, because that's important. People in New York are obviously talking about the Giants. Giant writers are obviously going to hype up the Giants to an extent. National NFL guys are talking about the Giants defense as being a possible top-tier defense. We saw flashes of it last year. Patrick Graham is a guy who gets a lot of clout as a defensive coordinator, and they got some dudes on defense. So that's a good thing, right? But it's all about the offense, and it's specifically all about the red zone offense for the New York Giants and for Daniel Jones. We heard about Galladay. He's banged up. We got the uh, Kadarius Tony pick. He hasn't played very much. Evan Ingram might miss the first three or four games of the season. So things aren't off to a hot start for the New York Giants here. And we talked about no noise for the Jets. There has been noise for the Giants. Now, Pat, you and I have been at a disagreement on this topic in the past. What do you expect in this year for Daniel Jones? It really is make or break for him, Garrett, and Gettleman. How do you see it playing out as there is a division to win for them? It's not, you know, unfeasible for them to win the division to the NFC East. So what do you see happening here with this offense specifically? Yeah, it's, it is very feasible, Pete, and I've let my opinions be known very clearly in how I feel about Daniel Jones and this New York Giants team uh, on this podcast in the last year. That being said, I said on the fan when I did my show a couple of weeks ago, this is the year, it is the holy triumvirate of hot seats for the New York Giants. Daniel Jones, Jason Garrett, Dave Gettleman, all three of them, have their jobs up for grabs this year, depending on how this offense does, because that is how that is how they're going to be judged. You said the defense, possibly one of the top-tier defenses. They are a top-tier defense. And I'm going to go as far as to say that that's secondary with James Bradbury now with a stud corner alongside him and a Dory Jackson and the secondary duo of Logan Ryan and Jabril Peppers next to the L.A. Rams. That's the best secondary in the NFL. They they were incredible. They were They were tremendous at forcing turnovers last year and with a I'd say mediocre pass rush because Leo Williams outside of Leo Williams the Giants got basically no pressure on the on the quarterback so now that they have that secondary they can play man coverage and that gives your defensive front seven more time to get to the quarterback it'll it'll result in more sacks for this team it'll result in Dexter Lawrence being able to get more sacks it'll result in guys like O'Shane Zimenez being able to get after the quarterback after he barely played last year uh you know and look Blake Martinez was a pro bowler last year should have been a pro bowler so or he was a pro bowler I'm thinking of Bradbury getting the snub right so this defense is remarkable, and they're going to hold up there into the job. It is the offense that is going to be the deciding factor of whether or not the Giants make the playoffs this year. Dave Gettleman knows his job is up for grabs. He went out, signs Kenny Galladay, drafts Kadarius, Tony. You got Saquon Barkley back. He gets Kyle Rudolph as a, as a number two to, to Evan Engram to push him. And uh, look, he didn't do anything with the offensive line. That being said, the offensive line was terrible last year. They started to show signs of getting better late in the year. They've got another year of experience. So you need Andrew Thomas to have a big year too. You need Nick Gates to be the leader of this offensive line. You need Will Hernandez and Matt Pert on the right side to hold up their end and protect Daniel Jones and protect him on that strong side blitz. And uh, again, Jones has to take care of the football and he's got to be able to throw the ball down the field now that they've got a down-the-field threat in Galladay. Slayton's got to come back after he had that mediocre year two 
He's got to show you sides, you know, the, the signs of the shades of him in his rookie season. Same thing with Sterling Shepard. Since his rookie season, Sterling's kind of been, you know, he's kind of fallen off. Well, he's been in and out of the lineup. He has been in the lineup, and he's been battling injuries. Battling yeah. injuries in the last two games of last year, he was great. I think he had a combined seventeen catches for like two hundred and twenty yards in those last two games of the season. And now that you get Saquon back, hopefully he stays healthy because when Saquon Barkley's healthy, look, you should have never drafted him number two. That right. being said, he's a dynamic running back that he can give you all. He can be a four down running back for you. And we saw what Wayne Gallman, even you know Wayne Gallman, was able to do behind this offensive line last year at times. You know, he was really able to run pretty well. So if the run game is there, that makes it easier on Jones, but he's got to take care of the football and he can't make throws like he did in the end zone in that preseason game against the New England Patriots, because I've been the biggest defender of Daniel Jones. You know it. Mark Shen knows it. All the listeners of this podcast probably know it by now. I've been the biggest defender of Daniel Jones because I think he's primed for a huge breakout year three here. I think he's going to throw for 4,000 yards. I think he's going to throw for 35 touchdowns this year. And I do think this Giants offense is finally going to break the shackles of being one of the worst Ooh. offenses in the NFL over the last two years. And I do think this is a 10-year, a 10-win year for the New York Giants. Oh, and I think they gosh. win the NFC East. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I, that was, oh, my God. You got me all hot and bothered over here. So you I just had said, to build you up. You just said 35 touchdowns you can see for Daniel Jones. Yes. His over-under. I got a bet for you, Pat. You I think his over-under is only, what, 24? 24. 24. Now, he threw 24 his freshman uh, his freshman year, his rookie year. He only threw 11 last year. You get yeah. an extra game if he's healthy for all uh, 17. 35 is a real number. That's that's something. That's something. So, let me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pump the brakes on 35 touchdowns here because I'll be happy with freaking 22 touchdowns from Daniel Jones right now. I need to see... Him use his legs if he needs to in the red zone. Get in the freaking end zone, man. Like, whatever it takes to score freaking points, you got to do it. So, the one thing about Dave Gettleman, because he's a mixed bag, he's an easy guy to take shots at. He can be a punching bag for fans and media members alike easily. You have to give him credit where credit's due. Now, he may not know the price of players, the proper place to draft them, or how much money to give them in free agency, but he does actually have a decent eye for talent. Like, no one's hating on taking Saquon Barkley. People are hating on taking him at number two. No one's hating on Kenny Galladay. They're hating on giving him more money than any other receiver in a year where all receivers got crap deals, right? Kyle Rudolph is a red zone threat, almost specifically. That's like what he does. So Dave Gettleman is putting pieces in place for Daniel Jones to succeed, is he paying the right price for said pieces? That's to be argued. You can probably argue uh, Kadarius Tony was picked 30 picks too soon. But is he a bad player? No. There's other receivers that would have taken over him 100%. But he's not a bad player. He's not a useless player. So there's talent there. And almost now that the roster's set and the prices have been paid and the salaries are set, you don't want to dwell on what Gettleman paid for those guys. You just want to see what they can do now that they're on the field. So Gettleman deserves a little bit of credit for that, for giving Daniel Jones those options. And you got to push away the price. Kind of like we talked about on the Boyle and Shen show with Leonard Williams. You were not happy with the price they paid for him, but you're not particularly hating on the player, Leonard Williams. You just said you think he's pretty damn good for them, right? It's just they paid him a lot. So Gettleman's putting talent around the team. He just might not be paying the right price. But that doesn't matter once the games start. 
So that's why it's put up or shut up, and I agree with everything you said, except for the fact that the Giants are going to win the division, win 10-plus games, and Daniel Jones will throw 35 uh, touchdowns. Other than uh, those things, I do agree with your assessments overall. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, and, and last year, look, Pat Shermer was a terrible coach, and we get that. And even even then, under Pat Shermer, Daniel Jones had a pretty healthy rookie season. So that being said, you know, last year he had to learn a new offense for the second straight year with – uh, with with Jason Garrett, and again, Jason Garrett's job is just as much up for grabs this year as Daniel Jones and 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 Dave Gettleman. Dave Gettleman knew what the stakes were this year, and that is why he went out and he got Galladay and he got Rudolph and he drafted Tony. So he's he's done his job. He's given Daniel Jones the weapons he needs to to succeed, even more so than his rookie year, which again I thought was pretty decent. If he limits the turnovers and puts up the same numbers, otherwise, damn good season for Daniel Jones. Jason Garrett needs to hold up his end of the bargain. He needs to develop Daniel Jones. That's the job of the offense I'm not holding my breath. Develop your quarterback. <laughs> What'd you say? I'm not holding my breath. No. Well, again, <laughs> you know, he's, he's it's his second year now. Last year was about as wor- as bad as it could go. They were the only offense better than the New York Jets. Or, you know, only one offense was worse than them. It was the New York Jets. So that wasn't saying much. Uh, but again, you know, for Jones, Barkley gets hurt. First, second straight year with a new offensive offensive system and a new offensive coordinator. The offensive line was terrible. The Giants dropped 8% of their targets, which was fifth worst in the NFL. So look, there's no more time for excuses here in year three for Daniel Jones. He's got the weapons. Second year under the offensive coordinator. He's got Barkley back. You think that the wide receiving core can't possibly drop as many passes as they did last year and that the offensive line can't be as bad as they were last year. And that is why... Coupled with the fact that I think he's just motivated, he's more mature, he's ready to take that huge step, he's ready to be a leader. That's why I think Daniel Jones is primed for a, comparatively speaking, big year, which I think is 3,500 yards and 4,000 yards and 35 touchdowns. I think it's oh, yeah. very attainable, Pete. Ooh, you better hammer that over, brother. You better oh, yeah. hammer it. 24? 24, I would take the over on that. Now, to uh... The only thing that's, the only thing that's stopping him is if they get first and goal – and they run the ball, and Barkley runs it in on the first attempt we'll take every it. single time. We'll take that all day, every day. And so will Daniel Jones, and so will Giants fans, and we'll live. Uh, more or less. More or less. As long as the turnovers get cut, we'll take that all day. Uh, to, to mention another thing from the show you produced on Thursday afternoon, the afternoon drive with the fan, you mentioned Jekyll and Hyde. Now it's time to mention, what is it, the girl with the curl? Shout out to, to Lou Gower. Uh, Daniel Jones <laughs> the can't the be curl. the girl with the curl who's really bad sometimes, but sometimes really good. He has to be n- not inconsistent. He has to be consistent. I'd almost rather him be, you know, 80% of his ceiling as long as the floor doesn't go to 0% like it has uh, over his first two years. So that's good there. Let's keep it moving here and move on from the NFC East. We didn't really talk much about the Cowboys and the football team. We can do that next week. I will mention real quick. The Cowboys, plus 150. They're the favorite to win the division. The football team is plus 200. In my opinion, I think the football team should be favorite, but the Cowboys get that public bump, obviously, because more people want to bet on them than any other team in football, basically. Uh, But the Washington football team, really good defense, better quarterback play. Not great quarterback play, but better. And then the Eagles and Giants, both plus 450. I think the uh, Giants should have better odds than the Eagles, frankly, but we shall see how the cookie crumbles as the season uh, takes off just a week from today, actually, when we're recording this on Thursday night. So let's move on now to a very interesting division. It's been a division that has just been owned by Pittsburgh and Baltimore 
over the past 10, 15, 20 years, maybe the history of football, if you will. But the Browns made their position known last year. They made the playoffs. They won a playoff game. They have crazy amounts of talent on that team. Currently, the Ravens are plus 115 as the favorite, just trailed by a few points there. The Cleveland Browns are plus 155. The Steelers plus 440 with some Jekyll and Hyde features of their own with uh, how much can we trust Big Ben, though they do have good skill players and their offensive line should be better and healthier. Their defense is still really good so that you can't count out the Steelers, but there's reason to be hesitant there. Let's focus this conversation, however, on the Ravens and the Browns. My take to, to set this up for you is the Ravens are banged up right now. Uh, Bateman's been banged up, their rookie receiver. Hollywood Brown is not practicing that much, and Sammy Watkins is their other guy. I don't love that core in general. Now, if they're banged up, it's even worse. Yet, yet, they lose J.K. Dobbins. Yet, they're still the favorite to win this division. Do you deem that to be fair? I know you are a Browns fan. I know you do take your bias off very well, so I tip my hat to you there. Do you still look at this as the Ravens' division to lose, or do you think the odds have it wrong and the Browns should be the favorite going into this season? I think the Ravens are rightfully so the favorite. I mean, look, they've got one of the best coaches in the NFL. John Harbaugh is, I think, going to be a Hall of Famer in the NFL when everything is said and done. The fact that what he's done here uh, with Baltimore, and he's made them a winning franchise year after year after year. They do things the right way. They No matter who they've got playing, they always seem to be a winning team. He's got great assistant coaches around him, and they have fielded one of the best defenses in the NFL over the last several years. And that's not going to change. This defense is going to be tremendous. I mean, you look at the the linebackers and the secondary, Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey, Chuck Clark, Tyus Bowser, Patrick Queen, Calais Campbell, the, you know, just they're, they're going to limit teams to 20 points a game every single week. But you mentioned it. There's a wide receiving core that severely underperformed last year. You lose J.K. Dobbins for the year now. The offensive line at times had struggled, struggled to stay healthy. They've got a whole new right side of the line with Kevin Zeitler, former Giant, and Alejandro Villanueva, former Steeler. So that's a big question mark for them and their ability to protect Lamar Jackson so that he doesn't have to run around like a chicken with his head cut off every single game. I think the Browns are going to win the division this year. Mm. I think they there trended in the right direction last year. I think they, by the end of this season, will have the best offensive line in the NFL when everything is said and done. They've got one of the youngest offensive lines in the NFL, and they did a hell of a job of protecting Baker Mayfield and making his job a hell of a lot easier. And it's the same offensive line from last year. Wills, Batonio, Treader, Teller, and Conklin. They're studs all Boom. across the board. They are absolute studs from left to right. <clears throat> and you add that in the fact that you've got the two-headed monster of Chubb and Kareem Hunt makes Baker Mayfield's job yet again even easier. And you get Odell Beckham back. You get Juice. You get DPJ. I think the Cleveland Browns offense is in for a huge, huge season. Oh, yeah, not to add that they now have Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney lining up either opposite or next Ooh. to each other now on the defensive line. Hopefully the defensive, the secondary can stay healthy because that was a big, uh, you know, I wouldn't say it was a big detriment because the secondary is great when they are healthy, but they couldn't stay healthy. So, but I, I, I think you're right. I think there's too many question marks. There's too many injuries. And in the receiving core for the Baltimore Ravens, there's just not enough production for me to believe that they're going to be able to put points up consistently enough to help out their defense. I think the Browns edge out the Ravens and win the division this year. I, I, I it's hard to argue that 
I really can't argue that. My argument against it is that Lamar Jackson is still the best quarterback in this division. And there is some, some lukewarm opinions on Lamar Jackson with the year he had last year was a down year, obviously from his MVP year, but that offense was still very good last year. They were still top 10 in the league as far as offensive output with the lack of a passing game with the bad receivers and, and whatnot. So now they were expecting J.K. Dobbins. Gus Edwards is a very strong backup. He's not the big play, you know, pop one for 50 type of guy, but he is a guy who averages over five yards a carry for his career, and he is also a Staten Island uh, born and raised gentleman. So shout out to my guy, Gus Edwards. So the Ravens deserve to be in that position, but man, this is going to be a absolute grueling battle between these two teams. And it's really, really feasible. They're both in the playoffs. If we're being honest, right? Whether it's a wild card, whether, you know, whoever you say wins division, it almost doesn't matter. You can see a path pretty easily for two of them to be in the playoffs. And in past, three of them to be in the playoffs. We'll see if the Steelers can hold their end of the bargain. I have one more Browns question for you here quickly. When you hear people in the media or your friends perhaps bring up how Baker Mayfield is this system-type quarterback who only really benefits from the play action and they run play action to kind of coddle him and spoon-feed him what he needs to be successful, when you hear that narrative about Baker, what is your reaction or what is your rebuttal to that? Because I think it's not completely fair but obviously, like you mentioned, having Chubb and Hunt in that strong run game really does help, obviously. So what's your rebuttal when you hear people try to crap on Baker like that? I just I think so many people love to hate Baker Mayfield and they want him to to be a, a Patrick Mahomes. Like they they they're they're forcing him to be a Patrick Mahomes when the Cleveland Browns don't need him to be that. You got two incredible running backs, you got a solid offensive line. You're going to hurt yourself. You're hurting your own team if you're going to try and go out there and do more than what is expected of you or do more than what is asked of you. Just do your job. And that's what Baker Mayfield's done. And that's become, that has come along with the fast maturity of Baker Mayfield that I didn't think was going to come this quickly. You know, his, his ability to complete passes at a very high rate last year, limit the turnovers, not make rash decisions, not try to put it on his shoulders to do more than what he's needed to do. And, 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 and I hate the fucking term, uh, game manager. I think it's bullshit. I think if you're a quarterback that knows how to run an offense and knows that you got a good offensive line, a good running back, you don't have to force throws. You don't have to make rash decisions. You can live with picking up four or five yards on second down and going for a more manageable third and two rather than a third and seven or a third and eight. Mm. So I hate that fucking term game manager. And people say, oh, Baker Mayfield is just a game manager because he's never going to take chances down the field. No, that's, that's a lie. He did it plenty of times last year. I'm pretty sure they were top 10 in the NFL in completions of over 20 yards last year too. So they can throw the ball down the field. Right. But they realize what kind of offense they have and that they don't need to take these big risky chances on offense and Baker then also can extend plays with his legs when needed to. He did. He tried to do it way too much in year two. Oh yeah. And then he learned how to be a better quarterback in year three. So I, I think a lot of the criticism that comes down on him is is you know is is just bullshit. Yeah, and it makes me think of two guys in particular who are kind of the opposite of that storyline, that narrative. It's Deshaun Watson. Obviously, uh, we don't want to. We don't know who he's playing for, if he's allowed to play, et cetera. But him as a quarterback. He is running around with a chicken at, uh, with his head cut off, and he's making it work, and he's making incredible plays left and right. Matthew Stafford has done this for years now in Detroit where he's making incredible throws, and he's 
putting up great numbers. And no one would ever say that Baker Mayfield is as talented as those guys. And maybe it's not Baker's fault. Because if Matt Stafford had a sound offensive system with a good run game and maybe a good defense for more than once in his whole career, he would be looked at as a game manager from time to time, and that would be a positive thing. Same thing for Deshaun Watson. You don't think they would benefit from having a good system and good run game and good defense around them, and maybe they wouldn't look so damn crazy and make all these crazy highlights all the time if they were just able to be more consistent and more calm, but they have to do so much. So it shouldn't be a detriment to Baker Mayfield for doing what is best for the offense and what is best for the team. And one name you didn't mention, was he the coach of the year last year? Stefanski? Did he win coach of the year? I got to look that up here. If he he didn't win coach of the year, I know he was one of the finalists. And he just deserves a shout-out because that offense was absolutely legitimate last year, and it's much to his compliment, really. So... Another year in Stefanski's system. Yeah. It was. It was Kevin Stefanski. Good good memory, P. My memory's dog shit. So there you I completely go. forgot. There you go. Sometimes. Sometimes I remember some stuff. So Exactly. Yeah. So it was Stefanski. And 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 it, look, I didn't even mention him. He he deserves a lot more credit too than than what he has gotten. And uh, you know, just to kind of hammer home the point too about Mayfield and, and I was right. They were they were eleventh in the NFL in completion rate and um, amount of catches of balls thrown 20 or more yards down the field. So they do take some chances down the field. And they now, then they also got Anthony Schwartz, 4.25, 40-yard dash. So they got another big, big game threat, too, if he can catch the ball and, and stay healthy to add to this offense. But, you know, I mean, look at much of a slop fest Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs were in the Super Bowl. Right. But their offensive line is depleted as they were. He's running around like a chicken with his head cut off even more so than usual and looked like it, it was just absolute chaos. So, yeah. You need a good system. You need a good offensive line. You need a good run game in order to be a better quarterback. Right. And to continue the the talk on the dichotomy of successful offenses in the NFL, let's move to a division that we deemed last year the most stacked division in football before the injuries derailed the 49ers and the Cardinals kind of ran out of steam, if you will, and the Rams and Seahawks ended up being the top tier of that division. The NFC West, yet again, is looked at as top tier The Cardinals in almost any other division in football would be fighting for a division. In this division, they are the worst-ranked team. They have the worst odds to win the NFC West. So let's talk about that. I'm kind of setting you up here because I do know where one of your takes land on one of these NFC West teams. So the dichotomy of these offenses, again, it's Shanahan, who is similar to Stefanski in the sense that they're going to run the crap out of the ball because they have that system in place. They're not going to ask their quarterbacks to do too much. And then you have the Seahawks, who ask Russell Wilson to kind of do everything. And both of those offenses are successful. You can argue what's better, what's worse. Russell Wilson clearly has had more team success when he had the run game, when he had the good system overall. So that's the differences. And then, of course, Stafford in L.A. and Kyler into year three in Arizona. This is a very debatable conference. This is a con- or division where all three of those top three teams are looked at as Super Bowl contenders. The Cardinals are probably on the outside looking in, but they're still respected around the league. So when you think about the NFC West, is there a team that stands out? Is it the Rams with Stafford? Maybe a sleeper in there? What are your thoughts now on this division that, yet again, is looked at as the cream of the crop in the NFL, who has to beat up on each other every couple weeks because they have to play each other two times each? Yeah, look, I mean, I think any two and even three out of these four teams here could make the playoffs. I think it is the biggest wild card. It is the most intriguing. It is the best division in all of football. 
And I think in the biggest wild card division of football, I think the biggest wild card team is the one who's going to come out of it. I mentioned it on the, uh, on the DA show on CBS sports radio a couple of weeks ago when I was on the show, I think the Arizona Cardinals are going to go to the NFC title game this year. Oh I think yeah. You get, uh, you is. had the near, you had the, you had a start of an MVP season for Kyler Murray last year. I think he gives you a full 17 game impressive season. I think he lights it up from start to finish. I think he throws for 4,500 yards and 35 touchdowns, if not more. I mean, look, this team got this team got even better than last year on both sides of the football. And what held them back last year was the immaturity of the of as a head coach of Cliff Kingsbury. I think he has learned from a lot of terrible late game decisions last year that cost them a couple of games. You add AJ Green, I think AJ Green has a chance to have kind of a second you know, a second uh, career here, kind of a revamping of his career after the last couple of seasons. You obviously have DeAndre. Uh, they've got Christian Kirk. Their offensive line got better. And then look on defense. Yeah, J.J. Watt. You get, you know, another year now with Marcus Golden in the linebacking core. We know how great that secondary is with Jalen Thompson and Buda Baker mm-hmm. and uh, the, the secondary, the corners that they have. I think this is a very complete Arizona Cardinals team that is going to surprise a ton of people and I also think the team that is going to underperform the most is, is Seattle. I mm. mean, I, I think we're kind of nearing the end of the run of, of Pete Carroll and, and Russell Wilson in Seattle, Pete. I mean, it's, I feel like it's been coming for a while now. The offensive line every year seems to be a huge problem. And look, their defensive secondary is tremendous, but I, I, I just, I don't see it. I just don't see the offensive line holding up enough for Russell Wilson, which he basically has two targets. It's Metcalf and Lockett. And outside of that, it seems like they haven't gotten any kind of production from anybody else for a full season. And I, I think they've been fortunate, too, that for the most part, Russell Wilson has been one of the healthiest players in all the NFL in terms of not missing really any games. So I think Seattle has a big down year this year, and I think it's kind of the beginning of the end for them. Uh, look, the Rams have the best defense in the NFL. If the, the trade for to get Stafford pulls off they're probably going to win that division and they're a real threat every year with their defense and then who knows we're going to get out of san francisco you know the 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 hell of a run they had two years ago and then last year everybody basically gets hurt who knows what you're getting from garoppolo who knows if they can stay healthy uh both on the defensive line and the offensive line but again i think the one real surprise here that i want to hammer home is the arizona cardinals i think they're in for a big big season it's a strong take it's a strong take and it's a take i respect it's just a take i do disagree with pat and the reason being is Cliff Kingsbury. You said you see him getting more comfortable in, into this season for him. I kind of see him continuing to be underwhelming as a head coach. And what worries me about Kyler Murray in specific is that they are making it clear that they don't want him to run the ball as much. Now, I don't think that means in the red zone he'll still use his legs to score points, which is very important, especially for a guy with the talent that he has. So that'll help him. But I can't trust Cliff Kingsbury. When you think about this division, I know you're saying Pete Carroll's on the way down. Pete Carroll, Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan. That is the head, those are the head coaches that you're going up against in your division. And you rank those four, even if you think Pete Carroll's on the way down, Kingsbury's clearly the number four guy. And the guy to call out in Seattle to give them a little bit of a revamp is Shane Waldron. He came over from the Rams. He's now the offensive coordinator of the Seattle Seahawks. They're looking to incorporate more of that short and intermediate passing game that it seemed like the Seahawks didn't have in their bag. And the Giant game is the perfect example when they kind of just sat back in that too high look and 
they did told Russell Wilson, like, yeah, go ahead. Throw it through this look. I dare you. Like, go ahead. Do it. And he didn't really know what to do. He didn't have an answer for that. They're trying to incorporate a more dynamic passing game. I can see Tyler Lockett really benefiting from that and DK Metcalf for that matter. Their sleeping receiver is a rookie, Dwayne Eskridge, to check out in in that little intermediate area there. I do like that guy. But that being said, the team that we didn't really talk about or that you didn't really mention is the Los Angeles Rams. So they won the division last year. They went on a tear at the end with Jared Goff playing quarterback. They are clearly improving at the quarterback position, though there are still question marks about how high Matthew Stafford can take a franchise. I'm tending to believe that he can take the franchise much higher and that I trust them to make those incremental gains and be a very solid team. Now, I don't know if they're going to win 13 games and be a world beater, but I expect wholeheartedly to see the Rams, Seahawks, and and Niners in that 11 to 12 to 13 win range, and they'll be fighting for the division and wildcard spots. Russell Wilson just walks, walks into the season and wins 10 games. He's basically done it his entire career. He has one or two seasons with nine wins, and that's about it. He just wins. And it's not always pretty. It's not always something to write home about, but you can't really knock him until he doesn't do it, until he doesn't get it done. So when you talk about trust, you trust Shanahan with your whole heart. You do trust McVay now with Stafford, and you trust Russell Wilson to be in it when it comes down to the end of the season. The only person that I really can't trust in this division is Cliff Kingsbury. So that makes me worried, and it makes me worried for Kyler. Obviously, Kyler's not going anywhere, but it's one more year down the road for him to get the head coach he probably actually needs. Okay. Okay, I just, I think, again, I think, whereas, you know, the the LA Chargers, you know, had to move on and, and get a new coach, I think... You know, this is the year that Cliff Kingsbury kind of makes up for all his mistakes, whereas Anthony Lynn just obviously – yeah, I just slapped was... my mic. Anthony Lynn proved to you time after time that he was just inept of winning games mm-hmm. in the final couple of minutes. I mean, the Chargers could have, you know, won – what was it, six games I think they lost in the final two minutes? Whereas – so I, I think Cliff Kingsbury has learned from those mistakes. I think, you know, you mentioned it where, where Kyler Murray – didn't run the ball nearly as much after he got that, you know, he picked up that shoulder injury, whatever week 11, he didn't miss games, but he, you know, he basically, you're right. He stopped running the ball as much. Their offense didn't adjust. And now I think the offense has the opportunity to adjust, especially because they've added AJ green. They can be more efficient in the passing game. They don't have to rely as much on the run, but it also obviously helps when you have Kyler Murray, one of the most blazing athletes in the NFL, be able to do it when needed. And I just, I, I think their late game management is going to be a ton better this year because I think they've learned from playing some of the best coaches in the league and some of the best teams in the league. I think they're going to rise to the occasion. And uh, one more name to add to that Arizona bunch is Rondell Moore, rookie receiver. Yes, Sh- short, Purdue. Yeah, shorter guy in stature, but like a brick shit house. He's thick and he can freaking move. So he's another guy to look out for. You talk about AJ Green revamping his career. I can see it and here's why. He's going to be like their third option now. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to be a number one receiver. He doesn't have to be a number two receiver. Christian Kirk is one of the most slept on receivers all the time for the past like four or five seasons. Like he's consistently a solid two, three ish receiver. If Rondell Moore can give him something, they might have some juice. And I think they'll be exciting and in it. You got to see if they can get over that hump as well. Now, unfortunately, we won't talk about the Chargers here because we are getting a little bit lengthy on time. We'll make sure we touch on them next week before we get into week one. I have one more topic for you 
And then I'm going to give you a bunch of prop bets that I like rapid fire after that. So the last topic, we didn't mention the Super Bowl. Uh, I was Super, Bowl Super Bowl favorites also works. That wasn't what I was going for. But the reigning AFC and NFC champions, the obviously Kansas City Chiefs and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We haven't talked about them yet. They are still the favorites to make the Super Bowl. Right now, the Chiefs are plus 250 to win the AFC, followed by the Bills, Ravens, and Browns from plus 550, 650, 750. And then in the NFC, the Bucks are plus 300, followed by the Packers, Niners, Rams, plus 550, plus 650, plus 700. So in very similar positions, heavily favored to win their division, they're favored to make it to the Super Bowl again. So, Pat, I ask you, out of the Chiefs and the Buccaneers, who would you bet your money on? Who do you like more to return to the Super Bowl? Not even to win the Super Bowl, but if you had to pick one of those two to just make it there, who are you picking and why? I, I think you, you got to go with the Chiefs. I mean, simply because they have Patrick Mahomes under center. They've got Andy Reid as their coach. They've got a defense that got better, and they've got an offensive line now that is a little bit new in some faces. But, again, the Chiefs were winning – <clears throat> excuse me, the Chiefs were going to win that Super Bowl if the offensive line didn't become decimated by the time the Super Bowl rolled around. People love to forget that. People love to forget they were missing three of their offensive starting linemen, and all three of them were the best linemen that they had. So the fact now that they're going to be the best team in the regular season, and on paper, they're going to be the best team no matter who they play. If they stay healthy and Patrick Mahomes stays healthy, they're the best team in the NFL. I mean, it's there's there's just no way around it. And if you're going to bet on one team to get to the Super Bowl this year, it's got to be the Kansas City Chiefs. And obviously, the payout from a gambling perspective is not special, but sometimes you got to bet on the guys who are favored to be there because they're favored to be there for a reason. There still is obviously a positive bump with the plus 250 on the Chiefs. I, I do agree, and it's because of Patrick Mahomes. It's because of Andy Reid. I'm a little bit worried about the receiving depth here. I, I have great hope for Miko Hardman to step into a great role here for himself to actually put some volume to what we've seen be great home run hits, right? He has great home run hit ability. He's made a bunch of big plays, but he's never been a guy who can, you know, eat up eight to 10 targets a game and catch six for a hundred, you know, multiple weeks in a row. It just hasn't been in his game. So it's Hill and it's Kelsey. We know what they can do. Clyde's Edward Hilaire. He gets a lot of rap a lot of bad press perhaps because of the hype he had going into his fantasy season last year. He was solid. He got a little banged up, but he was a solid running back. So they got the talent. I'm a little bit nervous that the receiving core is depleted a little bit, but we've seen Mahomes do it with Demarcus Robinson and uh, what's his name? Byron Pringle. Is that, is that the guy's name? Yeah. There's, there's yeah, all Pringle. sorts of guys he's getting it done with. Not worried about that. The one thing you got to say about Tampa Bay though, they're taking their Super Bowl team and they are just running it back. They have everybody, everybody back. Mike Evans, Godwin, Antonio Brown, Gronk. They got the running backs, Ronald Jones and Fournette. Probably going to be a solid two-headed monster. That's why no one likes those two guys in fantasy because you don't know game to game who's going to hit. And last year, both of them hit in different times of the season. And the defense was fantastic last year. So there's a reason they're both favored to still make the Super Bowl. But when you really bet on it, when you really got to pick one, you got to pick Mahomes and Andy Reid. Until proven otherwise. Until proven otherwise, you just got to ride with them every single year. It's boring, but the boring pick tends to work. It re- it just does. Yeah, and I think for the fact, too, I mean, you talk about like late season runs where like a, a team, a group 
of a team just plays out of their mind. Like they just go invincible for a six, seven game stretch. That was the Tampa Bay secondary. I mean, yes. guys like Carlton Davis and Jordan Whitehead and Sean Murphy bunting for the first half of the season, they were terrible. Horrendous. I mean, they were getting torched on the, in the air. They were one of the worst secondaries in the NFL. And I was saying like, this team's going to like, that's what's going to prevent this team from winning the Super Bowl is how bad that they can easily just get burned in the air. And then all of a sudden it was like from week 14 on, they were like, oh, their secondary was like the best in the NFL causing turnovers. They were getting picks, interceptions every single game. I think they were the only team, what was it in the last 20 years to have a turnover in seven or eight straight games to end the season. And it was all from the secondary. I think you get a regression to the norm with guys like that, that for the most part have been very average players at their position in the NFL. And again, you get another year older for Brady, another year older for everybody else on that team. Look, I, I've loved Brady to find the odds for as many years as he has as much as anybody else. Sooner or later, Pete, it's gotta come to an I end. I know, but we've been saying that for <laughs> I mean, eight we years. We say this every eight, year, literally for like eight years. Like it's ridiculous. And, and another argument for the Buccaneers: last year they started off slow, and it makes sense. They had no camp, a new quarterback, new system for Tom Brady. It's spectacular that he did what he did. That he actually pulled it together and got that offense to where they were going into the playoffs. It truly is. It's remarkable. And you can't say enough about it. But again, you got to pick Patrick Mahomes, right? I guess. I don't know. I don't I don't even know. It's tough because there's not really reasons to hate the Buccaneers right now. But I do agree with you. Is Antoine Winfield the Buccaneer? Is he the safety for yes. them too? He is being talked about as well as uh, a second-year guy who showed signs last year and might just be a, a world breaker, a world beater uh, coming into year two. So, all right. Yeah. And that, and that's why I didn't I, that's why I didn't mention Winfield. That's why I mentioned the other three guys. Because he's actually a stud, like, right? Yeah. yeah. So real quick, the over under for the Chiefs is twelve and a half. It feels so low, and the over under for the Bucks is eleven and a half, which feels so low. There's seventeen games this year. The over for the Bucks has a minus one fifty uh, vig. Sneakily though, for the Kansas City Chiefs, the under twelve and a half has the vig. So maybe Vegas is saying. Uh, the Chiefs, they're just going to get ready for the playoffs. They don't care about winning 14, 15 games. They just need to be where they need to be and, and move on. They just got to watch out to see if those charges don't all of a sudden pop off and win 13 games, mess around and win 13 games. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. And now, Pat Boyle, I got some prop bets for you. I do. Are you ready for this? Let's hear it. I went haywire. Oh, really quickly, I would take the over on the Buccaneers. They've got the 26th weakest strength of schedule Oof. this year. They're playing teams that have a collective win percentage of uh, four, you know, 470. So they're basically playing a sub-500 uh, strength of schedule oh, wow. this year. I would take the Buccaneers to uh, to go over 11.5 if you're going to bet out of those two teams. And that's a sneak peek, perhaps, to our episode next week where we talk over-unders. Now, real quick, actually, before we go to the prop bets, um, you said you like the Chiefs more likely to make the Super Bowl again than the Buccaneers. Give me a inside look at maybe who you think would make it for the NFC. I know you mentioned the Cardinals might win that division, but maybe the Packers. Obviously, those other NFC West teams are available. Who who's the team that you think might actually knock off Brady and the Bucks? I, I think it, I think the Arizona Cardinals can do it, or the LA Rams. I think whoever okay. comes, the two teams that come out of the two best teams out of the NFC West are going to be the teams that do it. Um, you know, I'm not, I, I think green Bay, again, that's a, that's a, that's a track that's coming to the end with Rogers. This is his last season. You know, they've, they they've, they've gotten, it seems so close every single year. They haven't been able to do that. 
so just for whatever reason, I just, I just, I just don't think the Green Bay Packers are going to do it this year. I think it's going to be the Arizona Cardinals as the, you know, the surprise team for everybody, or it's the fine, the Rams now with Stafford and another year under McVay is finally the year they put it all together, especially with how uh, just incredible that defense is. Yeah, I love it, and uh, I'm riding the Rams. They're plus sixteen hundred to win the Super Bowl. They're plus seven hundred to meet the Super Bowl. So I'm riding there with you. So let's move on to these prop bets. I went a little cray cray. I just went ham today, and uh, I looked at a bunch of props, and I marked down all these ones that I like a lot. So all these futures, let's start in Tampa Bay with a guy who I'm arguing should be looked at as a true number one receiver for obvious reasons, yet he might be the number three on this team. If I told you, Pat, that Antonio freaking Brown was the leading receiver on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, would you be shocked? I mean, if he can stay out of trouble and not be a scumbag, then yeah, I, w- I wouldn't be shocked. But we'll see if that's we'll see if that's actually going to happen. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. Okay, so two prop bets for Antonio Brown that I love. First and foremost, over five and a half touchdowns for Antonio Brown. Seventeen game season. I'm going to keep reminding you of that when we talk about these season long uh, futures and the prop bets. Five and a half touchdowns over has a minus one fifty vig on it. You don't love to see that. But sometimes you got to pay for what you want. He had four touchdowns last year in eight games played, but he only started four. He only had over 50% uh, snap share in four of those eight games, and he had four touchdowns for just under 500 yards. So over five and a half touchdowns for Antonio Brown. Again, if he stays on the field and doesn't get himself into trouble, that's easily, I, I think, easily take the over there with how much Brady loves to spread out the offense. There you go. And how much Brady tends to love Antonio Brown, which is why I'm doubling down on Antonio Brown over 700 and a half yards for Antonio Brown. Again, I just mentioned he had 480 in eight games last year. Now, granted, he had a huge, huge week 17 where he had over 100 yards. So that's an outlier for last season, but that may not be an outlier for this season. Over 700 and a half for A.B. Yeah, that one I'm going to stay away from. And, you know, in terms of the yardage, then you've got Gronk, you've got uh, Mike Evans, you've got Chris Godwin. So the yardage-wise, I would probably stay away from touchdowns. Again, he's a big favorite. He's a big favorite target of Brady once you get to the red zone. Yardage-wise, with how many other weapons you have on the offense, that's that's not something I would take. And his catch rate last year with Tom Brady in Tampa, 72.6%. His best catch rate of his career And yes, that beats his catch rate for those big seasons he had in Pittsburgh where he topped out at 70 and 71%. Technically, his rookie year, he was 84, but he only played, you know, he only had 20 targets. That doesn't really count. All right, moving on. I got another double duty for you for Jerry Judy. That's a rhyme as well. Over four and a half touchdowns for Jerry Judy. I'm a little worried because Teddy Two Gloves did great for the Carolina Panthers of getting to the red zone. He didn't do great getting into the end zone. So Judy, I feel great about. Let me just tell you both right now, over 65 and a half catches for the season and over four and a half touchdowns for Jerry Judy. The touchdowns. uh, Minus 160 on the, on the touchdowns, by the way, that's, that's a tough big. That is a tough big, especially with Cortland Sutton, Cortland Sutton now and, you know, if Noah Fan can stay healthy, he was a very, very good tight end last year. I guess Tim it Patrick. just comes down to 
Yeah, it just comes down. To you just don't know. You don't know what you're getting from the quarterback. You don't know if you what you're getting from Teddy Bridgewater if he stays healthy. If he starts playing terrible, you never know what you're going to get from Drew Lock. You know, one week Drew Lock goes for 350 yards and four touchdowns, and next week he goes for 128 yards and three picks. So, I would go again with the touchdowns. I would say over for Jerry Judy and the and the catches or the yardage. I would go under. Really? So uh, I actually, I kind of disagree. I would probably stay away from the touchdowns, even though I do. You only need five. You only need five touchdowns. Hey, listen, I bet on it. (laughs) So I'm not actually staying away. But if if I had to choose one to stay away from, I'm choosing the touchdowns. Hey, look, buddy, you're fucking talking to the wrong guy, okay? I already bet it. (laughs) I bet all of these, uh, perhaps. You don't don't need to persuade me. (laughs) But if I had to choose one to, like, delete right now, it would be that one. What the 65 and a half catches over that's only an average of about four catches per game. Now last year with Drew Locke as the quarterback, he had a 46% catch rate. That is horrendous. Now Teddy Bridgewater didn't get in the end zone a lot, but he carried Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore to very successful seasons as far as catches and yardage. So I'm feeling good about Jerry Judy in 14 or 16 games last year, 850 yards again on that 46% catch rate. That's terrible. And three touchdowns. I'm seeing a big year for Jerry Judy in the middle there. I don't love their offensive score, but hey, let's ride Jerry Judy. All right, moving on. One more double duty for you, and it's another double over. I'm just riding a bunch of overs here. Uh, That's going to obviously play out well. (laughs) Logan Thomas, tight end for the Washington football team. He nearly has a wide receiver level target share. He also is at four and a half touchdowns on the over-under, and he's at... Where's my number here? 600 and a half yards for the over-under. And again, 17 games for Logan Thomas. What do you think about those two overs? I like that one because you have Fitzpatrick at quarterback. And he's a guy, obviously, that loves throwing the football. They need to be able to do that this year. The fact that you've got Scary Terry, um, you know, as I think one of the best breakout receivers of last year, I think helps them. And I think it helps then obviously open up opportunities for Logan Thomas when you have teams that are going to be double teaming McLaurin and uh, trying to obviously stop them on the ground as well, because they had a, a pretty scary run game at times uh, with McKissick. So I think Logan Thomas has a chance. What's, what's the touchdowns? Five and a half, four and a half. He had six, four last and year. a half. He had six last year with Dwayne Haskins, Kyle Allen and Alex Smith. And what's the other prop? 700 yards. He had 670 last year. Again, Dwayne Hassan's Kyle and Alex Smith. Yeah, Pete, I mean, I like that. I like the over on both. I like the over on on both. I think those are solid bets. I'm looking at some of his games from last year. 13 catches, 101 yards against Seattle. Nine catches, 98 yards, and a touchdown against Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I think you have I, I I think you got some good bets there with Logan Thomas. Oh man, I can't wait for all these to miss. All right, let's move on to our next one. We got Keenan Allen over here. Y'all know about Keenan Allen, one of the shiftiest receivers we have in the league. He's just out here making people look silly left and right. We got over 1,025 yards for Keenan Allen. What do you think about that? Again, 17 games. Yeah, that's 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 a tough one. That's because tough. So I'm, I'm look, looking. I'll, I'll give I'll give uh, you what you're looking up right now. In in the three years before last year, where he played sixteen yeah, he had games, 12, he basically had twelve hundred yards or more. Exactly. And then last year he played fourteen and had nine ninety. And we have an extra game this year, another year for Herbert. 
It's a little yeah. bit risky because, you know, Herbert might spread it around more. Mike Williams should be healthy again. Eckler should be healthy again. But Keenan Allen has proven 1,000 yards ain't that much for him. Yeah, he's so consistent, too. And he's he's been able to stay healthy for basically his entire career outside of, what, basically one year. So the yardage. I, I'm always so skeptical of the yardage. See, you know what's funny is I'm, I feel sometimes less skeptical of yardage and more of touchdowns because touchdowns are like kind of random sometimes yeah. for, for receivers, like receivers who are awesome. Like I, I tweeted this out today. George Kittle has never scored more than five touchdowns in a season, which sounds insane, right? But like sometimes players have a knack. Sometimes you just get some big plays in a year. I don't know. So in yardage wise, Keenan Allen has gotten well over a thousand three of the last four years and got 990 last year. Yeah, I'll go with the over with the yardage again. Again, so too this because you don't get your money back if a guy gets hurt. No, no, you do not get hurt as long as he plays a a game. I think you're out. Yeah, misses seven games of the season, you don't get your money back. So that's also obviously you have to take that into consideration with everything. The fact that Keenan Allen has stayed healthy for basically his whole career, though, I'll go over with the yardage and the touchdowns was what? How many? I didn't do touchdowns for him. I could probably I could also look. just yardage. Yeah, I didn't double down on everybody. You know, I'm not a, that big of a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> not that big of a degenerate. All right, yeah, no, I I like that one as well, Pete. I mean, I think I think oh, you, uh, right, you obviously baby. did your research here. You you studied, you crunched the numbers. I like the over on the uh, Keenan Allen yards. And it, you know, there's always the regression. Like, yeah, he's been healthy his whole career. Clearly, he's not going to be healthy forever and ever. Right? He could get hurt. Of course, he's not the biggest guy, but he's so shifty. I just love watching that guy run. Yeah, I mean, look, if you get if you get if you lose it back because the guy missed five games, I mean, that's just it's fucking bad luck. You just wear that one and you move on, and you move on to another wide receiver over pick, one thousand and a half yards, two years in a row hitting that mark. That's Seattle's own Tyler Lockett. I just mentioned how they got the new offensive coordinator out here, more intermediate uh, pass game more short pass game that should feed right into locket. Of course, he's got the big playability 75% catch rate last year, which doesn't come close to his 81% catch rate just three years ago, over a thousand and a half yards in 17 games, uh, assuming health for Tyler Lockett. Yeah. See this one, this one, I'm not going to let you, you persuade me with all your numbers <sighs> that you it. throw out. I'm going to going under <laughs> on this one because I'm looking at Lockett's numbers He's only put up a thousand yards twice, and just made and, it. And it was, and it was just what'd you say? He just made it. Yeah, and that was both in the last two seasons. I think Metcalf gets even more attention this year. And again, I just don't, I just don't think Russell Wilson. I think Russell Wilson has a down year. I think this offensive line continues to hurt them. And look, we know Tyler Lockett is always good for like a, a two hundred yard game once yeah. a year as well. I mean, he yep. did it last year. I'm looking at it when he had fifteen for two hundred and three touchdowns against Arizona. That was silly. Outside of that. He basically kind of just gives you, you know, it's like 60, 70 yards a game. I just, I, I don't know if he's going to have that big game or two big games this year. I'm going to go under on Tyler Lockett. Okay. I can I'm going to go under. That. I'll basically go under on anything you want to throw at the Seattle Seahawks. All right, here you go. Ready for this? <clears throat> 84 and a half receptions for DK Metcalf. Yeah, see, DK, DK is the only one because I, I think there he is. Go. I think he's an absolute stud, and I think he can go over on almost any prop bet you give this year. And let me just take a look here at his numbers while we're talking about it. He had 83 catches last year. The over-under is 84.5 this year. Mm -hmm. So he basically just has to have a similar season from last year, and that was for the most part. I mean, he was consistent. He was healthy the whole year long. That's another thing. The guys, you know, you're asking him to basically play every single game again. 
and put up similar numbers in I terms mean, of his catches. Ooh. I mean, again, I just think they're going to rely on him so much. I'll go with the over for the catches. Yardages and touchdowns, I would probably go – I probably honestly would go under for, for Metcalf. But, but catches-wise, I think he's going to get targeted 13, 14 times a game. Yeah, I, I agree. And that's why I went specifically with catches for Metcalf because I don't know – you know, he's a freaking brick shithouse. I mean, seriously, can you even imagine this guy getting hurt now? Watch he'll like break his fingers, three of them in the first week or something crazy. <laughs> but, but I, don't, I don't know. Something crazy is going to happen. But over 84 and a half, I love it for DK Metcalf. Let's move off receivers for one second here. Finally, right? Here's a good one. I really like this one. Over three and a half rushing touchdowns for Trevor Lawrence. How do you feel about that one, Pat? Hmm. Mm. Over three and a half rushing touchdowns. Mm. I'll tell you what, I think it's bolstered now that the fact that Etienne's out for the whole season. So that's going to... But then again, James Robinson was such a stud last year. He was. James Robinson was a good player last year. Hmm. I, I, this is, so why you, why you think about it, why you mull over that, I tend to think that younger quarterbacks, especially in the red zone, something that Daniel Jones has not been able to do, will rely on their feet to sneak into the end zone. I went through this uh, a couple weeks ago on the pod. Like guys like Jared Goff ran for like four touchdowns. You know, J- uh, Justin Herbert last year, which is a great test case for Trevor Lawrence here. He ran for five touchdowns last year. Josh Allen can run for eight touchdowns any given year. Obviously, we're not going to talk about Lamar. That's not Trevor Lawrence, but Trevor Lawrence can move, and I can just see him. You know, on that twelve yard line, eight yard line, drop back and be like, oh, here we go, off the side, boom, touchdown. And three and a half is a very manageable number. I just like, I just, I think he can get four or five this year running it in. Yeah, that's tough. Uh, I would not bet that one. It's a psycho bet. It's a psycho bet to make. That but. is a psycho bet. I do, I do <laughs> I like the reasoning that you say that. And he had what, nine touchdowns and he had, you know, basically 10 touchdowns each on the ground the last two years at Clemson. I mean, totally different game right. going from the college to the pro level. But yeah, I, I honestly, I think he's either going to get, I think that's one that Vegas probably will nail. He's either mm. going to get three or four or four. Yeah. <laughs> And well, I don't want to be on the losing end of either of those. No, and I, I do. I want I want the pain. Uh, I, looked at Justin, <laughs> I looked at Justin Herbert, and he had five last year, and that was kind of like all I needed to know, you know? And, um, mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't have the receivers that Herbert had in L.A. So, you know, there's a chance he might need to do it himself a little bit. All right, two more for you. These are the similar types of bets. These, you know, sound a little crazy. It's hard to get your head wrapped around the math. But Aaron Jones... Over 1,400 combined rushing and receiving. There's no more Jamal Williams in that backfield to steal targets from him. I think Aaron Jones has a huge receiving season. You know, A.J. Dillon isn't a big receiving back. So if they're going to spell Aaron Jones, it might be in the run game more so than how they used to with Jamal Williams. So I like the fact that he can get some more receiving yards. He's hit this mark a bunch of times in the past couple years. Aaron Jones over 1,400 rushing and receiving combined. Yeah, I uh, I like that one. And then again, again, I'm looking at his numbers. He basically kind of was right on the mark, a little bit over for that the last two years. Um, one more game, gotta remember. And you, and you, and yeah, you. I mean, that is true. I mean, that's huge. If, that you, is if huge. you average 80 yards a game, I mean, that's a, a huge difference. And he, you know, he averages over 100, really. Oh, not over 100, but he averages right around 100. So. Just trying not to think. Crazy. You mentioned it, you know, with AJ Dillon, that he's. I mean, that he should be the clear cut number one. It just depends on how much you know Rodgers is going to obviously throw to the stud core of receivers he has with Adams, MVS, Lazard, Cobb, Tunyon. Right. Like I, I just I don't know. Like I, 
unless all those guys are covered. I don't think there's ever really an like a reason to throw to Aaron Jones on third down. Yeah, I mean Jamal Williams got a lot of action last year as a receiving back for them. That's that was that was basically my thought. Jamal Williams is gone. I expect more passes for Aaron Jones. That's why I also targeted him where I had a chance in fantasy uh, as well. You know, but. It's a risky one. I'm not going to act like it's not, you know, these are all I, I feel like, yeah, I mean, it's one, obviously, where you lay out the numbers. You know, you, you mentioned Williams from last year. It's one where you feel like it should hit, and, like, on paper, it does hit, but I just, I, I don't know. I feel like the rushing yards, I, I would definitely take his rushing yards, probably, if it's a good number. Uh, but rushing and receiving, that's something I'd probably lay off of. Gotcha. One more similar ilk, and then I have one last one for you. Um uh, Antonio Gibson. You mentioned J.D. McKissick before for the Washington football team. I'm going Antonio Gibson. I think a breakout, huge, awesome year for him. Uh, 1,300 rushing and receiving. It sounds lofty, but he's a guy who should be involved at all phases. He could be a three-down back for them. Obviously, McKissick will get his fair of looks uh, as a pass catcher. But I just think Gibson had an awesome year last year and has a chance to break out this year. Yeah, and I remember when he torched Dallas on Thanksgiving too. I mean, that was when I was like, "Holy shit, this 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 run game for Washington's pretty solid." But um, there was just there was too many times when I mean, I'm looking back where he was just an absolute non-factor in terms of catching the football, mm. especially after you know the second half of the season. Like I'm looking at the last with Alex Smith, yeah, the the last three games, three catches, eight yards, one catch, six yards, two catches, four yards. Again, you got a new quarterback with Fitzpatrick, so the offense should be improved. But again, that's something where if you give me his rushing yards, if it's a decent number, I would probably go after it. But again, rushing and receiving together, probably something I would stay away from. What's the number? 1,300. 1,300. What did he rush for last year? He had 795 rushing yards, 247 yards in the air. Right. So I could see him getting to 1,000 rushing this year. And if he's around the same, he's, he's he's pushing the limits. Yeah, again, I'd, I'd probably stay off that one. Very fair. Very fair. Again, I'm, I'm a psychopath over here. So here's the last one for you, and I haven't really I – I don't usually bet on MVP. It's not something I particularly enjoy. It always tends to be uh, like a top three quarterback that's expected to win. So I just tried to find a guy who wasn't looked at as a top three MVP favorite, and this guy is a recent MVP, which makes it a little bit harder to uh, you know understand or fe- – Think about him feasibly as an MVP candidate, but here's my case. Lamar Jackson, plus 1150 for the MVP. If the Ravens, with the depleted receiving core, is banged up and just not that talented in general, if he still throws for 30 touchdowns, he throws for 3,000, 3,500-ish yards, he rushes for 1,000 yards, he rushes for 10 more touchdowns, and this team just goes 13-4 and or 14-3, and whatever it may be, there's a case where it's undeniable. And all the hate on Lamar Jackson, not hate, but like all the things, oh, the league's going to figure him out. Oh, their offense took a step back this year. And he just goes out and dominates and wins the division and wins 13, 14 games. And they're sitting with a home playoff game. I can just see it coming back again to Lamar Jackson being undeniably the most electric player, most productive player in the league. And that's my case. That's my only long shot MVP. It's a long shot. It's plus 1150. Obviously, you're not going to expect much, but... There's my pick. Yeah, I think this is a year where it's either going to be chalk in terms of it's either going to be Mahomes, Rodgers, or Josh Allen. If it's not those three, though, I'm going with a you know guy that I've I've just been I've been so bullish on since he got drafted. Do it, um, rookie of the year. I think with the weapons he has at his disposal, a new head coach, 
you know, could be undershadowed playing in his own playing in the own division with Mahomes. But mm. if he has a if he continues to trend upwards, there's no reason why Justin Herbert oh, can't I win the MVP. That. No oh. reason why. I'm seeing. Uh, I just looked up the odds here. I don't know if if they, we got the similar ones here, but I'm seeing oh, plus two thousand. Yeah. No, I gotta I gotta bet this again on another website because I have FanDuel up in front of me, but I bet this on a different site. And uh, that was what do they have Herbert as? Lamar's plus seventeen hundred on FanDuel. I got gypped. Damn, oh, you got him at plus eleven hundred. I'm getting back into FanDuel, and I'm 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 doubling down, baby. Let's go. Yeah, ditch your ditch your offshore books. <laughs> who's who's offshore? Not me. Justin Herbert <laughs> plus two thousand is also a nice bet. I love that plus two thousand for Justin Herbert. I thought you were gonna go Kyler Murray. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a terrible bet either. I think the most popular bets, obviously, Mahomes, Rogers, right? That makes sense. Josh Allen will be probably the most hammered MVP pick. After that, he's ranked fourth in odds on FanDuel, plus 1,300. Another popular one will be Dak Prescott, plus 1,700. And Lamar's right in that range. He's the tied for the fifth best odds. And I don't know. I, I think it's a little bit crazy, but just crazy enough to where it's like, oh, my God, the Ravens only have three losses. They're 14-3, and three, or they're they're. 13 and four and like, holy yeah, I mean, shit. You can obviously see it. If, if, if Baltimore has success this year, it's obviously going to be attributed to everything that Lamar does. Exactly. He did it two years, did it two years ago. There's no reason why he can't do it again. Whereas Dak Prescott, he may throw for 4,500 yards, but if Zeke rushes for 1,400 and 12 touchdowns, that's going to hurt his case. You know, Baker Mayfield, I'm seeing on this list, we talked about all the guys around him, the run game that could help him out. You know, Herbert Jackson, if those teams boom, they're why. That's why. So I love that. Oh, those are the two guys. I'm going to throw a shekel on Justin Herbert too. I'm feeling crazy out here. Oh yeah, baby. Let's, Let's go. go. All right. All right. There we go. That's it. That's an uh, hour and 50 minutes of unfiltered, unedited. Wow. We ain't taking no breaks out here. We're just going straight through. That's how me and Pat Poyle do it. No breaks. One no take. second takes. Come on. All gas. No breaks. Oh, Give me a fucking break with that quote. I can't. Jets fans are going to, I tell you what, Jets fans are going to be. <laughs> I can't wait to revisit this. I can't wait to revisit how the Jets are doing a couple weeks into the season. When when everything that can go wrong does go wrong, Zach Wilson gets hurt and you got Mike White or whatever the hell his name is playing quarterback for this oh, team. No. Who the hell is their backup oh, no. quarterback? I don't even want to know. I don't, I don't know who it is. It's some no name. I'm oh. telling you. I just, I just, the, the, the delusional Mets and Jets fans, they're like the worst <laughs> fan bases. I don't know why that just, that just got such a thorn in my side right now. Oh God. That's we so were doing, funny. We were doing so well, Pete. We now were 50 minutes. That's amazing. That was a great episode. Mike White. Pat. Mike yeah, no, White. It, was, it was a great episode and uh, yeah, no, no breaks, man. All one take. I, lo- I love chopping it up with you, dude. I feel like we can talk about anything. So I'm excited for a whole new, whole new season of football. They should give us a podcast on the fan. Let's go. Come on. Let's talk to David. Come on. Who's saying, have who, to. Who's listening? Anybody listening out there? Come on. Let's Might do it. have to cook that up. All right. Here we go. Subway Sports Talk. Pat Boyle, P. Kenny. We're back all the time throughout the season. We're out here. We're going to ramp up the picks again. We're going to figure out. I've been cooking up some ideas on how to do this efficiently and get the picks out in a meaning, meaningful fashion. So we'll be back doing picks, keeping you, you know, up to speed on all things you need to know about the NFL. Um, my last words is the Kings should trade for Ben Simmons. And uh, that's all I got. <laughs> you got any last words, Pat? <laughs> any last words? Hmm. Any last words? Now I'm just going to stick by my, uh, my sleeper pick of the year. Arizona Cardinals in there the NFC go. title game. There we go. I love to see it. This is Subway Sports Talk. We're back.
better than ever. Cheers, y'all.